in a copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, just as a reminder, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love to give you one. We have six copies out there available. It'd be great if they were all gone uh, by the end of today. Uh, please take one on the way out. Uh, you'll find Genesis 1 on page 1 uh, of your Bible in, in the pew. And as you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning at verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And would you please increase our faith in you. Grow us in your grace as we come before you today through your word. We ask these sayings in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. You know, as I've mentioned before, uh, I like working uh, with wood. But there's often tension by how I want things to turn out and how they actually do. I'll either work all day long and either not get it done or work all day long and something really flawed, you know, comes out of the process. Oftentimes the plans I come up with in my head have unknown, major, disaster-laden mistakes built in them. And even when they don't, I am often off in my measurements, cut three times, measure once. I think that's how it goes. There are bubbles in my polyurethane that happened yesterday and the wood gets cracked on the edges where I forget to pre-drill the holes. I use nice power tools, but they are only so good in my neuropathy-ridden hands. But God was not and is not limited by any of these constraints. Praise God. He had a perfect plan for how the universe was going to turn out, and then He did it. He knew how not, it, not just how it was going to be structured but how each atom would interact with each other atom, 
each electrode and every quark and every piece of antimatter, if that's even real, how the gravitational forces of celestial bodies, thousands, millions of light years away from each other, how they would interact, and how the smallest of plant life would be critical to the overall environment that surrounds us. He didn't just plan these things, he perfectly executed them and continues to uphold them by the word of his power. The materials he arranged things with didn't exist before he created them. And instead of using Milwaukee or DeWalt saws, the only tool he used was his speech. He simply spoke. And what he had planned before the foundation of the world, all that he had designed, appeared across this world and across the heavens above, all things that are both visible and invisible. It is amazing what God has made and how he did it. And so we're given the account of creation, six days with the day of rest at the end, not because he was tired, but as a model for our rest. And we're going to look at the next two weeks, maybe three, uh, at these six days. And so today we look at verse, excuse me, days one through three and see all that he created in the space of three days. So Day one began with the creation of the world, that it was not in the form in which we find it now. Verse 2 tells us this, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The words without form and void are, are ones that theologians have spilt much, much ink over. What does it mean? It rhymes in the Hebrew, uh, tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu. It rhymes in the Hebrew, uh, and you see it in other places in uh, the Old Testament. And in most places, it means chaos and disorder. We know that that can't necessarily mean what it means here. Why do we know that? Because God doesn't create chaos. 1 Corinthians 4, 14.33 makes this super clear. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The NIV, I think, renders it well. says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. The picture here, tohu vabohu, formless, without form and void. The picture here, though, is one in which the world is covered in water. The mountains have not yet been formed. There are no features. If Dan Weaver were flying his plane, there would be no landmarks to figure out where you were. This was the raw material that God would use. He created out of the, from the word of his power. He would create and form things out of. It was a place of darkness. Now, later in Scripture, darkness is bad. right? Darkness in Scripture is a, is a bad image. It represents sin and ignorance, damnation, separation from God. But it doesn't mean that here. Because God is making all these things and he's going to keep saying seven times in chapter 1 that it was good or very good. Rather, this is the uh, form in which things were before God had finished it. We know that things were good because God was there. Notice that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, was hovering over the face of the waters I'm not even really sure how to think through that. But it's important for two reasons. One, it shows us that God is separate from His creation. God is not His creation. 
Creation is not God. This is the great reversal of Romans chapter 1. They would replace the Creator with creation. And bad things happen when that happens. So first, we see that God is not creation, but we also see that God is present with His creation. I love, I I had not, um, oh, we sang it earlier, that wherever we go, God is already there. And I meant to mark it. Um, Ah, 59, I sing the mighty power of God, and everywhere that man can be, thou, God, art present there. What a great line. But thankfully, the world didn't stay this way. It didn't need to, this primordial soup stage. It didn't stay that way very long, no more than a day, as we see that God makes first light, verses 3 through 5. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. The first thing we notice is how God created. Um, Do you ever say things hoping that it will happen? Maybe to your children, grandchildren, spouse, or to yourself, right? Uh, that's, that's wishful, right? We hope it happens. And even when we have authority to say things, we really can't make things happen with our words. But God can, and He does, by the word of His power. He spoke, and it came into being. I, I love, and God said, let there be light, comma, and there was light. There it was. Bam. There you go. Our words can be powerful, They can destroy lives or encourage or build up. With our words, we can tell others about the Lord Jesus and salvation. We can use them to invest in our marriage or to burn the house down. While our words may be powerful, they have no intrinsic power in and of themselves. God's word has power. We see that both in His spoken word here to create from the word of His power, according to Hebrews chapter 1. But, but also the written word, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That God merely had to speak and it came to be. And by the way, this is important, that what God says happens and what God says is true. Because there's some really precious words that we've heard in the Gospels when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished that the sacrifice had taken care of our blood guilt before God. It wasn't wishful thinking that Jesus said on the cross. It was declarative. It was making it so. It is finished. That's the kind of power we see with creation. Note that the first thing He makes is not the sun or the stars. This is amazing. Instead of making the things that make the light, He first makes the light. It's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? In fact, many who would seek to discredit Genesis 1 point to this. Day 4 is when we get the sun and the moon and the stars made. How can you have light without a source? Well, His name is God. That's how that works. Uh, He made the thing that other things would later produce. He made the photons... And He made the waves. 
You think about the original hearers of Genesis 1. These were the Hebrews who had been rescued out of captivity, captivity out of the, the spiritually dark Egypt. But also it was a very physically dark world they lived in. They were encamped, two to three million of them around Mount Sinai. Fuel for fires would have been sparse. Oil was super expensive, and they only had what they had carried with them. So when it got dark, you went to bed. And when you had light, you would have a a small, meager light. But these were people who were used to seeing light without a source. They had seen the Shekinah glory of God. There was no sun that created that. It was at night. So God created light. But of course, it's pretty easy to get to Jesus here, isn't it? John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When John begins his gospel in John 1, He very self-consciously is using creation language in the beginning. We've read that recently. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on to say, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just as God calls the light to shine in the darkness that covered the earth, so Christ has shone into our hearts, bringing salvation, light, and life. So God created the light, and then He separated the light from the darkness, calling one night and the other day. One Bible scholar by the name of Henry Morris, uh, he has this great um, study Bible, and it has some great notes on creation And he likes to posit this was when the earth began to rotate. So you could have evening and morning. That sounds nice. I don't know. Uh, But he created the light and he separated the light so it wasn't light everywhere. Perhaps it was light on one side of the world. So we have morning and evening, actually evening and morning. And while there wasn't yet the sun nor the moon to rule over these days and nights... God had created what will later be created by something else. It's important, though, that God looked at all that He had made, and He saw that the light was good. Um, I I finished a project yesterday. I'm making book holders for my pastor buddies out of Pecky Cypress and Mahogany. Uh, And some of them turned out pretty good. Some of them, capital S, some, some of them turned out well. I looked at it and said, hey, that's pretty good. That's not how the word good is used here. Rather, it's a moral good, like good versus evil. God looked at His world, uh, unfinished yet, Uh, He looked at the light and said, that is morally good. It's not an indifferent thing like money. Money's indifferent, right? It's, It's neither good nor bad. It's how we use it. The world, God's creation, is not indifferent. It is good. God made it, and He loves His creation. In fact, seven times in chapter 1, in the beginning of verse, in chapter 2, God is going to say, it is good or very good. Why is that important? Because there has always been a stream within Christianity that has said, the spiritual thing is the only important thing. And the physical is at best indifferent. 
at best, yeah, okay, that we have these bodies just so that they can carry souls. Or we have a world just so that we have somewhere to live. That's not God's view of either our bodies or of creation. He delights in that which He has made. And that, by the way, is a great reason to go spend time in God's creation. To delight in the woods. To delight in fishing. To delight when, you, when you're riding through the countryside, right? Instead of seeing it as something between here and Pensacola, you just got to get through to get there, right? I understand that. But to actually look, not too carefully if you're driving as a passenger, to look at what God has created and how different things are, even between here and Pensacola. You think about the beaches right, and how different they are from the deer fields in Escambia County, Alabama. And look at the variety of what God has made. And those things are good. Now, these things must point us beyond those things to God, to the one who created them. We don't need to make a God out of creation. But these things are good. Delight in them. It's good to delight in being outside. Which takes us to day two. The second day, look at verses 6 through 8. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Have you ever looked at these verses and said, what in the world do these mean? What in the world is an expanse? It's not a word I use very often. Or the King James renders it firmament. What in the world does that mean? Well... Remember that the world at this point was covered in water. There was light and space, but there was water. God separated the water that covered the earth, not in piles. That comes on the next day, on day three. Not in piles, but He separated horizontally. And there are waters that remain above and the waters that remain below. What in the world are we talking about? He's talking about the production of clouds, of the atmosphere, of the sky. In fact, if you, if you look at the footnote of your Bible when it says he, created the, he called it heaven or the heavens, that, that can also be translated as sky. It's the same word. Uh, now, there, I will say there are some who postulate that this is a layer of water that was around the globe, which would have made the earth very fertile. Uh, and that this is one of the layers of water that's going to fall with the flood. And maybe they're right. But either way, God is creating the sky, the space where the birds will fly, which happens in verse, excuse me, on day number five. Now, here, here's the thing. Uh, I started thinking about clouds. Uh, clouds are fun to look at. They're also really powerful. And we don't miss clouds until we have a drought. We recently went through that. And you just start praying, not for the, you know, the stringy clouds, but the, the big clouds. Um, and they can hold billions and billions and billions of gallons of water. Brad Miller, you know, he runs the Auburn Experimental Farm. He, he recently told me, and I had to look up the number again, do you know how much one inch of rain on a single acre is in gallons? One inch over an acre. 27,000 gallons. That's a lot of water coming from maybe one cloud. Uh, an average swimming pool is between 18 and 20,000 gallons. It's a lot of water 
one inch. And so on the second day, God created the atmosphere, the sky in which the birds live, and the air that we breathe, and the space where the plants and animals will move about. You know, increasingly with each day, we see God forming the world a little bit and a little bit more, and it's getting more and more beautiful. It's always been good, but it's especially good. He says he adds to it. He forms it, and that's when he says it's good. The light was good, right? It's getting more and more beautiful, getting things ready for his, the crown jewel of his creation, which was humanity. So it gets us to day three. There are two separate events that happen in day three. The first we see of the making of the sea and the dry land in verses 9 through 10. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So day three, first, God makes the dry land, which he calls earth. Now, uh, in the Hebrew, earth and land are the same word. So he makes dry land, which he calls land. That's, we might literally translate that verse. He makes dry land, which he calls land. Have you ever wondered how he did it, though? Now we know he's spoken. That much we know. But did, it, did the land just poof appear? Or did he speak it? And mountains come rising out of the water. Right? And if that's the case, were there tsunamis that were going on? Were, were there waves that were crashing as these mountains came up and, and continuing to erode and to shape the mountains as they come up out of the deep? That might actually be what happened. Psalm 104.8 tells us, The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. 2 Peter 3.5, And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Can you think about what that would have done to the soil record as everything is crashing and earthquakes? This actually could be one explanation of why we have different rock layers even before Noah's flood. So God created the seas and the dry land, and God saw that it was good. Now notice he didn't say that at the end of day two. Day two, when he made the expanse, when he made the sky, he did not say it was good. Now that's not because it wasn't good. It's two negatives. That's not because, yeah, that's right. It was good. He just didn't declare it. Many have speculated that the project that he began on day two was finished in day three. And that's when he said it was good. God loves what he created. He loves the mountains and the plains and the valleys and the nooks and the crannies. You know, and because of this, one of the implications, and we're going to talk more about this uh, later in Genesis 1, because God loves it, we shouldn't have a desire just to destroy it willy-nilly. We can have a whole conversation about environmental stewardship. We can go way too far in both directions. But at the very least, what this means is that God values creation, and therefore we should too, and seek to be good stewards of it. Well, day three continues with God making all plant life. Look at verses 11 through 13. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening 
and there was mourning the third day. These two phrases uh, represent all of plant life. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. So he made all the plants, for they either have exposed seeds or seeds inside fruit. Uh, Gymnosperms and angiosperms, according to Google. Uh, Think pine trees and peach trees, two different kinds of seed. You know, with day three, we have the emergence of life on earth. Something has just happened. We're beginning to make a transition from just forming the world to now beginning to fill it. There's more filling that happens in days four, five, and six. But now there is life on earth. And notice it didn't come out of the seas. We're going to talk about evolution in two or three weeks on a Wednesday night. But notice that it does not come out of the oceans. Rather, God speaks it and it appears. Furthermore, notice that each one is meant to reproduce according to its own kind. So this means, you know, there are a lot of finches that are migrating, so I hear. Uh, They're all birds to me. Uh, You know, and there are a bunch of different finches. There is much variation in the finch family. This is what's called microevolution. That's very different from macroevolution. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. There's going to be variation, right? Uh, but finches don't produce crows. Does that make sense? You don't get crows out of finches. When you think about ferns, the royal fern, ostrich fern, Christmas urn, lady ferns, I have no clue what they look like, but they're all in the southeast. Uh, now, given enough time, they will not produce rose bushes. They won't. Each produces its own kind. God has made this earth so that it is self-perpetuating. Now, He's involved every step of the way. It's not like He set it up and let it go. But it has systems in which God has created it. And each species, each animal, every plant has the ability to produce more of itself. This is one of the reasons why evolution does not fit with a biblical understanding of creation. Well, let me just say a couple things, then we'll close. Um, We have a correlation between days 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. In days 1 through 3, you have God forming the earth, and in 4 through 6, you have Him largely filling the earth. Even the plants are meant later for the animals. And so on day one, right, we have light. And on day four, what do we have? The things that produce the light. Then you get to day two, you have the sky. And then as you get to day five, you get the things that fill the sky. And you get to day three, and you have the creation of land, and, and you have the creation of plants. And then on day six, you have the animals that will eat them. God has created His world with such beauty with such intricate wisdom, which drives us to the worship of our God. So how do we land this plane? All of Scripture is about Jesus. Where do we find Jesus in this passage? Well, he's mentioned, as uh, we talked about uh, earlier, uh, that Christ is the light of the world. But he's also found throughout this passage in that he is the one who is making all these things. We speak in the Apostles' Creed that God, God, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
How did God create? His agency, the agent of His creation, was His Son. All things were made through Him, through Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now here's what's amazing, is that while creation is still good and perfect on day three, four, five, and six, some indeterminate time between creation and, and Genesis 3 occurs. In Genesis 3, everything is broken. And fallenness, evil, enters into this world. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't end with the fall in Genesis 3. It continues. It continues to tell us about God's great plan of redemption in which the very God who made this world, by speaking it into existence, would step into this world. That the invisible would come visible. That He would take to Himself a human nature. Why? Because He loves those who have rebelled against Him. He is born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He would die the perfect death and say, it is finished. Those who trust in Him right, might have the, the curse reversed that our, our moral guilt before Him of all that we have said, thought, and done, our sin, that, that it would be taken care of by the blood of the One who made everything. So it makes sense that death could not hold Him. The grave had no power over Him. But up from the grave he arose. And he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, that is, those who are living, and the dead. And y'all, it's going to be a great day if you're a believer in Christ. A bad day if you're not. A great day if you are in Christ Jesus. If the blood of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, if it has covered you, then a great day of rejoicing it will be. It will be openly acknowledged as God's children. And our graves will raise, rise up from the graves. Our bodies will rise up from the graves. And we will live forever with our Savior in a new heavens and a new earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for creation. It is beautiful, Lord. It is beautiful what you have made. Help us then, Lord, to worship you for all that you have created. We thank you that you have created new life in us by the Holy Spirit. And we yearn for the day of Christ's return. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to conclude by standing and singing.